everyone, and welcome to the Inclusion Podcast. I am Julie Costin, and I am here with the fourth podcast with Brianna Dickens. Um, and the other three have been delightful, so I assume you've binged them all the way through. Uh, if you haven't, you should probably pop back to episode 15, where we start working together and talking about Brianna's experience in school. She's someone who uh, was in a self-contained classroom her whole life, and um, she has autism as an attribute. And uh, she's someone who is deemed to have an intellectual disability, but that was only because she wasn't able to communicate uh, her needs and um, all that was in her head. And so she's here today to teach us a lot of things. Um, I think overall, one of Brianna's lessons for me is that uh, we were wrong to put Brianna in a special education classroom. And um, I think that's the case with almost every single individual on earth. Um, so. Um, I believe all kids deserve a general education experience um, with peers. And Brianna helps make those points really, really clear. So today, uh, in a minute, I'm going to welcome back Brianna. But today's topic is all about challenging behavior. And uh, Brianna is going to share a few stories, uh, most of them humorous, related to her own behavior in school and how it was seen. So welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, super happy you're here. Um, talking about students who have challenging behavior is one of my favorite topics because I find that students who have challenging behavior are some of the most misunderstood people. And so um, I want to start with a story and I have to go back to share with you in the 15th episode when Brianna spoke about competence. She told a story about her, your school presuming that you had pica, mm -hmm. right? Pica meaning eating non-food items. And literally she was communicating that she was thirsty and uh, the school district thought she was eating non-food items. So I'm just sharing that as a backstory um, to kind of set up this story about a game of operation. You mind starting there? Yeah. So um, as, a, as a kid, I received um, lots of OT services. Uh -huh. Um, because of motor planning and things, I needed some support in learning how to make my body do what I wanted. So, um, but one of the OT um, tasks that I had in the special ed room mm -hmm. every day was the operation game. Mm -hmm. So that's that like game with the the guy on the table, um, and it has the little bitty tongs, and you have to take the little bitty bones. And put it in the correct hole. Yeah. Um, and then if you don't get it quite right in the hole, if the tongs hit at all, um, or the piece doesn't fit right in, uh, the game like buzzes, mm -hmm. and some of them even like make noise, so it like screams at you. Yeah. Or buzzes at you. Um, and like the nose lights up, if I remember correctly, yeah, yeah, right? So it flashes, flashes. Yeah. And buzzes and makes noise and screams if you yeah. don't put the tweezers just right. Right. So I think. I'm remembering this game back as a child. So if it basically if the metal tongs touches the metal edge, yeah, then it yeah has it a big reaction. Okay, yeah. and so um, I was never good at the game. Mm -hmm. So all it did was like buzz at me because mm -hmm. um, I could never get the piece in the hole mm -hmm. correctly. Um, and so I hated the game. And um, I at that point I had no reliable communication. Um, so I threw a ton of temper tantrums mm -hmm. and um, that didn't work. <laughs> I still had to do the operation game. So um, I came up with like a brilliant plan. Okay. Um, 
get out of the operation game. So one day, um, I get to school on the bus, and the TA meets me at the bus, and I run to the classroom um, before the TA, and I eat all of the operation pieces. <laughs> um, and it worked. I did not have to play the operation game again, but um, people were not happy with me. Uh -huh. um, and um, they saw it as like a very negative behavior. Sure. Um, whereas I was just, I thought I was brilliant. I, I agree. thought I came up with a really good plan <laughs> to tell them that I will not be doing this anymore. And um, did that reify their thoughts around Pika? Yes, unfortunately, <laughs> it, it added to their laundry list. Of, uh, so, I mean, were you studying to be a surgeon? Is that why you had to do the operation game? No, I mean, it just <laughs> happened. I'm not sure why they had it there. And Well, I'm just, I'm presuming it's about fine motor skills, yes, right? It's about but, fine motor. Yeah, but you really didn't enjoy that game. No. No. So I love what you said about you thought it was brilliant. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more. Like, there's no other way to guarantee, I suppose, if you lost the game in some fashion. But that was pretty much the only way to guarantee you not have to deal with those tiny pieces. Right. Right. Was to eat them. Right. <laughs> Great. Um, so share this idea of uh, a kid who eats puzzle pieces or game pieces. I can't tell you how many times I've worked with a school system where they'll say, Julie, you know, um, the kid even will eat their pencil or something to that effect. And using that idea as a way to presume or a way to give evidence to the fact that they believe this person to be not competent. Yes. Um, so eating pieces of a game is one example. Um, the next story that you have prepared to talk about is really so important to me because I can't tell you how many times People have said, I can't include this student because of this behavior. Okay, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Can you explain it? Yeah, so um, as a kid, and still I have um, lots of different sensory um, differences. Mm -hmm. And so um, it took a really long time to find clothes that were comfortable. Um, and even still, um, like, just a year or two ago, the pants that I had been wearing for years, they stopped making. Mm. So it was like a huge ordeal to find a new pair of pants. Um, what was it about? I'm just curious. What was it about those particular pants that made them comfortable? So um, they were very soft mm -hmm. and then also stretchy. Mm. Um, however, they they also looked like professional um khaki and they had multiple colors mm. so it was sensory the same experience mm -hmm. but visually different mm. so i could look like i'm wearing you know all different clothes mm -hmm. when really it was one type of pant so getting was... used to one type of pant was mm -hmm. really useful for you because yes. you could just predict exactly how it was going to feel right okay okay so back when you were a kid talk about pants really yeah so um we had a lot of um, trial and error in terms of finding me pants that I could stand. And so um, part of like sensory um, for me and um, for lots of people is um, 
at any given moment, you're experiencing all different sensory inputs. So um, all of your clothes, um, each clothing item is a sensory input, and then the noise in the room is a sensory input, the lighting, the air, um, and then that's just like in a room, let alone like any other people in the room. Um, and so for me, who have, I have heightened sensory experiences, um, it was a lot. So at home, right, all of the sensory um, inputs were familiar. I would be in a quiet spot, um, comfortable. I wouldn't be asked to do anything that I haven't done in the past, right? I'm, I'm in my comfort zone. Mm. And so then when my mom put pants on me, um, I could stand it because it was the only thing that was uncomfortable. Um, everything else was comfortable. Mm -hmm. So that was okay. Okay. But then when I would transition to school and all of a sudden the bells are ringing, kids are screaming, air is different. The lights in the school are often like very terrible, like the fluorescent. Um, and then I would be asked to do all sorts of new tasks. And so once all of the other inputs are coming in, suddenly like I could not stand those pants anymore mm. because they were like often your clothes are the things that are touching you the most. Right. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden I could not stand my pants. So I would strip mm -hmm. and usually it wasn't just my pants. Mm -hmm. uh, as soon as my pants were off, I was like, Oh, that feels good. Let me take my shirt off too. Mm -hmm. And so um, anytime you have a kiddo, stripping their clothes mm -hmm. oftentimes the response is like adults come running <laughs> and so when adults came running at me I went running the other direction so I was the kiddo running around the school naked um, on any given day so I love that story because you can explain it now yeah right and for me the biggest challenge is people are constantly telling me you know, how on earth could we include this kid because they're, they strip, right? And that's a phrase that people use. Um, and I think people think it's funny, right? This concept of stripping. Uh, in reality, it's, it's just meeting a sensory need at that moment, right? Right. Um, and so what do you think, this is kind of extending that, what do you think educators need to know and understand about a student who might be removing their clothes I mean, typically a removal of clothes um, is because those clothes are uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, and whereas clothes might be standable mm -hmm. in one setting, doesn't mean that they will be in another. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, let's say they're fine with their clothes in the special ed classroom that's mm -hmm. like small not too many people, and then they go into the general ed and strip. Mm -hmm. It's probably just because there's more sensory inputs. Mm -hmm. Also, like stripping for me was because everything was uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, but if you have a kiddo who is struggling to communicate, it's it's a communication of some sort, whether it's the clothes are uncomfortable or their way of exerting some sort of control over the situation in the moment. Mm. Uh, but it is a communication. So I would, I would urge people to think of it as such mm -hmm. and problem solve it as communication, mm -hmm. not as behavior. I love that. It's communication. It's not behavior. We need to start with the why. So many people move to, I'm just going to be really honest. They move to a sexual reason 
You know what I mean? Have you seen this or heard yes. this? Yes. And so how do I help people understand that that is, that is very unlikely to be the reason um, for small kids to be taking off their clothes? Like, how do I, this is a hard question. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I often like think about and highlight the idea of like, oftentimes um, people with disabilities are seen um, differently in terms of they're sexualized mm-hmm. um, or not sexualized, right? It's usually a binary of either they're being hypersexualized um, or infantilized. Mm-hmm. Um, but oftentimes, right, as a kiddo, um, it's I would I would find it hard to believe that it's for sexual reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, even if it is, mm-hmm. um, we need to think of it as communication mm-hmm. and then also as like a teaching moment. Mm-hmm. Um, before I, I talked about like social stories that were not helpful. Yeah. In this case, it could actually be helpful um, mm-hmm. in terms of like getting across like when when you're if you're feeling a certain way or need to strip mm-hmm. um here are some options here's how to do here's how to relieve where whatever to go, it is yeah where right. to go what to do how to do that right. so that you can move on in your day right. and not be seen in a light that you don't want to be seen right. necessarily right right it's really helpful because um that behavior is often the number the behavior that means that a student quote unquote can't be in school and so your point is we can teach new ways to think about that. We can explain, you know, I'm also thinking back to your concept of the least dangerous assumption. And I think it's highly dangerous to start with. This is a sexual behavior, right? right? I think um, there are many, many possibilities prior to that. And then, of course, as all human beings, I love what you said in terms of there's usually a binary. Um, most people with disabilities have all kinds of communication and all kinds of needs. We just have to do the figuring out. Yeah. Right. Um, so thank you for that. So um, the other big, big behavior that I'd love it if you talked about is running. Yeah. Um, if I ask a group of teachers, what's your most challenging, problematic, concerning behaviors that you see in school? Nine times out of 10, running is one of the first behaviors people mention. Do you mind talking about that? Yeah, no, no. So um, I was... I mean, I was deemed a runner, mm-hmm. um, but from a young age, um, as somebody who was seen as autistic with um, an intellectual disability and a host of negative behaviors mm-hmm. um, and no way to communicate, um, my coping skill and um, exit strategy, right, was often to run. And mm-hmm. so if I couldn't control something, um, and I couldn't communicate like, hey, I don't like this or, hey, this is sending me over the edge or whatever. Right. Since I couldn't communicate, the only way to communicate that was to get out of there. And so um, from a young age, I learned um, avoidance as a um, as self-preservation. So hmm. I would run um, mm-hmm. and I would run away from anything that was um I just couldn't handle mm-hmm. in the moment. So can you give an example of something you, you remember running from in school? So oftentimes, um, you know, like the desk. Yes. <laughs> um, and you're supposed to sit at the desk. Uh-huh. And um, my body is just 
not one that sits at a desk Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. Well, um, my TA, who was supposed to be supporting me to sit at that desk, um, would kind of hold me Mm -hmm. in that desk. Mm -hmm. And so any time my TA went to hold me, um, I would run. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, That makes perfect sense. So you already hated the desk. Then you're having support in quotes to sit in that desk, which yeah. felt to you like torture. I'm imagining. Yeah. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Right. But what would you say that felt like to you? Yeah. Torture is good. <laughs> so, you know, I'm going to be held into this desk. So instead of experiencing that for my system, running is a better, you called it self-preservation. Yeah. Self-preservation. Mm. Um, and so as a little kid, right, um, oftentimes schools think of like, runners um and like red flag for safety right mm-hmm. they they throw out safety as a as a big thing but um they were very worried about my safety because i was a runner um and so they uh happened to have like a red uh it, it was a red stamp that said runner okay and so that was stamped on my file but it was not only stamped once right it was stamped at the very front mm-hmm. And then, you know, for all of my different services and my different IEPs, it was stamped again. So I had this red runner stamp all over. Mm. Um, Well, then that file goes anywhere new with me. And so the first thing they see is that big red flag Mm. um, of a runner. And so it just painted me in a very negative light um, very early on. So anytime I needed to ask for accommodations, that's the first thing they saw of me. So they couldn't miss that red runner stamp. No. Um, and it was on the front. It was in the middle. It was all throughout your file. Right. So if you're trying to, for example, get accommodations in college. Right. Uh, the person reading your file is sort of bombarded with this label of you. Right. Um, and this label of you is all about how you could personally stay safe. Right. Right. Un- unsafe. Right. And, and if I mean, it was red, it was like a red <laughs> flag. And so anybody reading that is getting this red flag. of I don't know if this person is right for this space. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the first thing they get. Mm-hmm. Not my transcript. Right. All of the ways that you're smart right. and capable and uh, a lovely and funny human being. None of that was stamped on there. Right. No, just runner. Okay, good. And so this running piece, um, yesterday, Brianna and I had this opportunity to be working in a school system. And um, I'm just going to start with the first question you were asked. I don't, you remember that yesterday. So someone asked this question, you know, hey, Brianna, okay, so I understand you're a runner. And I understand that um, you had a teaching assistant to support you. But I just want to talk about safety because safety is really important. And how do we, um, so the question was, how do we think about your safety if we don't put a teaching assistant with you? Isn't that kind of how they asked it? Do you, do you remember it differently? Yeah, no, they they were basically wondering um, if there was any, they didn't see any other possible way to make sure I was safe without having an adult mm-hmm. right by me. Yeah. So do you mind sharing your answer? Yeah, I think the first thing I said was typically the adult standing right by me was the reason I ran. Yeah. Um, was my first thing. 
Um, and then I think I also um, talk through how there are lots of different supports in a school that aren't adults mm. um, and how um, if if it comes down to that, there are lots of different ways to problem solve, but then also like instead of putting somebody there, let's problem solve what's causing that um, and work on not triggering the need to run versus um, the like negative behavior of running. Yeah. So not seeing beha- that behavior as probably the loudest communication. When someone runs, they're basically saying, my system can't handle this. Right. And it's not as if you didn't understand that staying in the room was what was required of you. Right. But it was just simply, I need to go because I can't yeah. handle this situation yeah. any longer. So the idea is problem instead of problem solving by putting an adult there, think back to what's causing the running. Yeah. And provide supports that way so yeah. that we're reducing that running rate. Yeah. I also loved uh, when you just said you might look around at all the humans who are available to yeah. support. Yeah. And you said, you know, even kids. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really important thought is that kids can be some of the best supports for one another. Right. If they understand what their task is. And I'm not saying that you're going to have kids responsible for other kids safety, which is, I know what a lot of people are thinking right now. Um, But there are hundreds of ways kids can support one another. So that maybe, for example, if you had a way to tell, to give a card to a kid that said, I'm overwhelmed. Yeah. Right. Uh, You might not be relying on your verbal speech, but instead you could do something and that kid could help get you to a place where you felt safe. Right. Right. Um, Great. So what are your big key takeaways, you know, from all of these stories about behavior and your funny and not so funny stories, I would say. Um, In fact, I think that's what it says somewhere in your bio. Um, A lot of these stories are funny in one way and then terribly not funny in another. Yeah. Um, Share big takeaways that if I'm an educator, I could really hear your message. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think the biggest one is um, behavior is communication always um um sometimes it is a kiddo's only way of communicating especially in a given moment Mm -hmm. um but a behavior is a communication and it's our job as educators to recognize it as such Mm -hmm. um and then behavior has many functions and um you might not guess the right one um and to be aware that it might you might not be guessing correctly um, whereas you might think um, rebellion was the communication, right? Um, making sure that there's room for that to be wrong um, as well. And then um, lots of times sensory differences are labeled as behavior when they're not behavior, they're just sensory differences. So um, my stripping was a sensory difference, not a behavior. I wasn't trying to communicate anything other than my sensory system cannot handle these pants right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was doing the only thing to manage it that I could Mm -hmm. in the moment. Um, And then uh, behavior is a way to show smarts and get needs met, right? Like lots of times it takes a lot of creativity (laughs) to figure out how to um, pick a behavior that will get the point across. Um, If you cannot speak um, or People don't seem to be listening to you or whatever the case may be. Like um, it takes a lot of creativity and ability 
to make things happen in in those ways. And so if we see that and recognize that and then try to um, solve the problem around that's like creating the behavior, right? And then reuse those smarts um, in other ways. I think that's very important. Oftentimes the kiddos with the um, most challenging behavior have lots of talents that go into that, that can be redirected for all sorts of um, positive and important things. And so when you see a student who has very challenging behavior, the first thing is to notice all the smarts behind that, mm -hmm. right? All the intelligence behind how yeah. creative. I'll use your operation game example, right? Yeah. It's like if I could just get past, past this teaching assistant and get to the game fast enough and eat the pieces, I will never have to play that stupid game again. Right. Right. And so just think of all the planning that that took. Right. And to be seen as competent because of that wasn't in the cards for you. Right. Um, I know that we're running long on this particular one, but behavior is so fascinating to me. And um, the way that you explain it is simply uh, genius. And I just want to ask, um, I'm taking a tiny turn and asking you the question. Um, you have used the term gen pop, like general population to describe the general population, uh, meaning general education students. Sorry. and um, you didn't really know why you use that term. No, I I didn't even notice that I used that term until my roommate pointed it out. Okay. And so can you describe like what you discovered when you thought that through? Like why are you using the term gen pop to discuss general education? I think I um used that term um because I saw my experience um in school as prisoning. Mm -hmm. Um and um, in general, right, like uh, school systems can be imprisoning um, for kiddos. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm a big fan of Orange is the New Black. Me too. <laughs> um, and I just, you know, critically thinking about that, my use of that term and thinking about um, some of the characters on the show. Um, Lolly, mm -hmm. who's one of my favorite, um, who, I mean, Lolly experiences the world uh, differently, right? Um, she hears voices and just has a very different way of navigating um, the world. And so in the prison system, um, Lolly was often in psych wards and um, segregated. Um, like isolation. Yeah, right. And so um, when Lolly gets to the gen pop, um, she's like, this place is amazing. <laughs> and um, I felt the same way about gen, the gen ed room, right, compared to the special ed room, it was amazing. Mm. Um, so I just kind of think of it that way. Yeah, no, it's just really useful to think about ways in which traditional special education is very imprisoning. Yeah. Right. And um, you can say it much better than I can say it in that you experienced it. And my hope in having you on these podcasts is for your voice to be heard all over the country and world and for people to be able to see um, how we might make really big changes for students like you who uh, didn't have a traditional way of communication, did not have traditional behaviors, and yet were brilliant and in lots of ways locked away, right? Um, so before I say thank you and, and, and for all of your work, 
I just want to end by asking, are you okay with people contacting you? Yes. Okay. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you if they're interested in connecting with you? Now, so far, Brianna has done presentations to school systems, um, which have been incredible. And I know that you're interested in problem solving around students, maybe who have, you want to talk about problem solving, what you'd be willing to do? Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess my biggest hope is that um, I can help um, others to not have the same experience that I have. And so I love problem solving around communication, Mm -hmm. around behavior Mm -hmm. um, and sensory. Um, Sometimes I can look at a situation and see sensory things um, that others who are um, neurodivergent and don't experience the world um, in the same ways can. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would love to be a part of anything that I could potentially be useful. Great. So Brianna and I are going to be doing some problem solving around kids this year, but just know that you can contact, I guess I'll just say contact through inclusive schooling. Does that seem to make the most sense? Yeah. Okay. So if you um, email us at team at inclusive schooling.com and you, so team at inclusive schooling.com, if you're interested in having Brianna help support kids who struggle behaviorally, sensory communication. Um, I think that I would be, you'd be such an asset to a team. So those are things we can think about. And I'm not suggesting that you'd be doing this for free. So this would be something that you could be doing for people to hire you to do. So contact us through there and we'd be happy to connect you to Brianna. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all of these lovely podcasts. And I hope that it helps uh, shed light for educators who are supporting students like you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.